0: Hello, and welcome back to In Defense of Liberation, the podcast that uh, stands for, educates about, and is fighting for and working towards uh, a true people's liberation, and hopefully one day, uh, a true uh, international proletarian revolution. Uh, But until then... Uh, Hi, my name is Josh. Uh, I am your host. Um, Today we are going to talk about our place in history. Um, So I uh, did a little blog this morning. Uh, Well, actually, first of all, if this is your first time tuning in, thanks for coming by. Uh, Like I said in the intro, we're all about liberation here. We're all about the human spirit. Uh, We're all about dignity for humanity we're all about making change that shows people that they they deserve life they deserve a dignified life right that's that's what we're about here um so if you can get with that please go ahead and subscribe leave a review on whatever um a rating and a review on whatever streaming platform you're listening to this on because it really helps like kind of expand my reach And I'm really trying to work on making this, like... Like, it's like a hobby right now, and it's a fun thing that I do, and I do a lot of it. But at the same time, I would like to dedicate, like, my life to doing this stuff. So if, you know, if one way that you could help me, you know, on that path is just, uh, leaving a review, I would really appreciate it. Um, but other than that, let's get right into the show. So like I was beginning to say, um... I did a little blog this morning, um, and basically the whole long and short of the blog is that we are in a period of time right now that all over the world, there are desperate needs for change, right? If you look at India right now, there's 250, the world's largest mass movement took place at the end of 2020. 250 million people descended on New Delhi protesting the, new, uh, the three new farm b- uh, bills that were passed uh, by the Modi government, right? If you look at Belgium, Belgium was a hotbed for eruption this past year. Um, they had huge women's rights movements. They had huge racial justice movements. Right now, Belgium is in the middle of yet another uh, mass movement. Um, I forget the gentleman's name, but uh, another um, young man was murdered by police um, in Belgium. And so this erupted into yet another uh, demand for police reform, for racial uh, and social justice, and for a real critique of the structures and systems that exist within Belgian society. If you look at Bolivia, Venezuela, those places have suffered incredibly during this time. But still, the people are strong, right? And this is the difference between kind of... And this isn't crit- critiquing anything. But there there is a distinct difference between movements... Okay? And, and, you know, revolution. So movements are what a lot of us have experienced throughout our lives. Occupy Wall Street was a movement, right? The George Floyd or Black Lives Matter protests of last year was a movement. The difference being, it wasn't... It was... See, it's hard to explain these things because... There's a level of offense (laughs) that is to be had. And not that I'm not trying to get canceled. I don't really think that that's the thing that anyone should be worried about. But these things are complex beyond a way that we can really explain out. But something that we should know is that these movements did not call for a complete upheaval of society nor did they implement any sort of dual power uh, uh, apparatus um, in order to, rather than calling for the government to make the change, making the change uh, true societal upheaval themselves. So these were movements, right? That is not to downplay anything that they did. I think the the Black Lives Matter movements of 2020 were one of the most politicizing events of our generation so far. But the problem with movements, and we're going to get into kind of more about my blog in a minute, but the problem with movements is quite often they are devout of any clear demands, right? One way that you can show people, one way that you can get people on your side with a movement is giving them clear, concrete gains, right? The Black Panther Party during the 60s, 70s, and 80s gave the black communities, which they were uh, helping, concrete gains. They gave them breakfast clubs to eat in. They gave them homes to live in. They gave them transportation to visit their family at certain facilities. They gave them training and weapons to defend themselves against police brutality, right? Something that we still experience to this day. And I'm not saying, okay, let's just go out and give everyone a fucking AK and we'll just take care of it. Obviously that has not solved any problem. Not for nothing, it didn't even solve the problem of police brutality, right? So then we have to look at these problems and say, okay, these are complex beyond our wildest dreams. We have to study them. And that brings us right back into what my blog is about. So I talk about the fact that, like, our period of time, the period of history that we are alive in today, 2021, is one of desperate. Change which is needed, right? Like I said, all over the world, not only are people crying out for change, but there is visible change needed even in areas where maybe those people don't even know that they have the right to call out for change. In a lot of places, they don't have the right to call out for change, right? So, this, you know, this really shows that this, uh, this end of history narrative that was put forth in the 90s by Francis Fukuyama, and that a lot of capitalists have grasped onto, whether consciously or unconsciously, this end of history narrative that says capitalism is the end-all be-all, right? Like, we might be able to reform some things, we might be able to fix some things, but at the end of the day, capitalism is the way that things are going to stay, right? And there's a lot of us who believe that, even as leftists, there's a lot of us who, in what we call for, in the theories that we uh, subscribe to, and in the way that we, you know, process things, study things, and reflect on things, really truly shows that we don't have the foresight to look beyond capitalism. There's a lot of books about that um, that are fantastic. Um, I haven't read any myself, but I know that I've seen a lot of suggestions. I think capitalist realism is one of them that's, like, an utter slap in the face of, like, how disgusting our reality really is when you you abstract it just a little bit. But that's the problem with, uh, kind of movements and kind of, I guess, that's the, that's the problem with being alive during the time when change is needed, Right? How many leftists do we see spending all their days arguing about, well, if uh, Comrade Trotsky had just been the leader of the Bolsheviks, the Soviet Union would have never collapsed. Or people who say, you know, if Stalin um, would have just, you know, not been the leader, maybe not Trotsky, then the Soviet Union wouldn't have collapsed. Or, you know, if this happened then, then this would have happened. And as fantastic of a theoretical game as that is, um, it's not getting us anywhere, right? Okay, what if Trotsky was the leader of the Bolsheviks? Guess what? He probably still would have ended up dead because the United States, the State Department, combined with all of the powers within the UN, other than the USR, USSR, had been actively planning, you know, the overthrow of the USSR through different, you know, forms um, since the dawning of the USSR. So, like, sure, maybe things might have been a little bit different, but what the fuck does it matter? It's 2021. Trotsky's been dead for forever. Stalin's been dead for forever. The USSR has been dead for 30 years. Why the fuck are we still talking about it, right? How about instead we waste our time talking about, like, stuff that We want, or wasting our time. Jeez, all right. How about instead of wasting our time, we have conversations about what can actually be done, what can actually change today? Because we're wasting our time. We really are sitting and talking about what should have come to pass or what could have come to pass if things in history had been different. They're not going to be. We can't change them, but we have the real possibility of changing the world we live in today. And that's kind of the narrative that that blog takes. It's saying like, listen, right now, all over the world, change is like really needed. People are dying within America, the quote-unquote land of the free, one of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest nations in the world, with more resources in abundance than any other country in the world, right? There are people who die from not being able to eat in the United States. There are people who die on the side of the road every single year in places like New York City, in Detroit, in Chicago, in the middle of the winter, who do not have a home. In cities where there's hundreds of vacant homes, there's hundreds of vacant hotel rooms, I'll betcha. And beyond that, there's far more than enough resources to, you know, allocate towards alleviating that problem that we instead choose to just simply not do that. Homelessness has been a problem as long as civilization has been a problem, The fact that it hasn't been solved shows that we haven't been trying to solve it. That much should be... We can't... We we got a vaccine for COVID in less than a year. You mean to tell me in 30,000, 50,000 years of human civilization, we haven't solved homelessness? (laughs) Yeah, no. That right there should be the sign to anyone that... When the incentives are what the people in power want them to be. Things will get done. There is no incentive to Washington. There's no incentive for our government in the United States to allow true structural change to happen. And that is because, as many people before me have pointed out, and I'm sure many people after me will, All hitherto societies, I'm sure you know where I'm going with that sentence, have been built, have progressed forward, have been structured on what we know as class struggle. Now, I'm sure if you've taken a Sociology 101 class (coughs) like I did, your professor spent about 30 seconds on this subject and then jumped forward and basically... <clears throat> oh, jeez, I got a tickle in my throat. No, Nothing to drink, so let's see how that goes. But um, your professor probably said something like this. You got the haves, the have-nots, the, the oppressors, the oppressed, the exploiters, the exploited. I said the same exact thing in the blog, right? But we have to understand the nuance that is behind that, what that actually means. Saying that there is the haves and the have-nots in society might be good in a certain context, but when we're trying to understand how to restructure that society, just simply saying, hey, there's some people who have things and there's some people who don't, doesn't really say, okay, how do we make it so that everybody has everything that they need, right? So what your sociology professor should have spent time talking about is the way that society has been structured is as follows right you have a certain group within society who holds all of the power and that power so we have to understand that power especially today is a a complex thing in and of itself because you have power politically you have power socially you have power economically right and then you also have members of society who have all three. And as things progress further in society, we see a coalescence, a coming together of these three groups of people, right? Look at the way that American government is structured today. It's mostly just lobbyists and private interests who fund campaigns, who fund presidents, who fund, you know, government officials, And then hold them accountable to then just simply doing their bidding. That is a culmination of the social, economic, and political power structures coming together. Because as Marx and Engels pointed out, over time, fewer and fewer hands have the wealth and power within society. Fewer and fewer people are at the very, very top. Because as society progresses, less and less people simply have the means to exploit others. You know, over time, the middle class became the working class because the middle class, in comparison to the wealthy elites, was just about in the same place as the working class. Meaning, in comparison to people like Jeff Bezos, uh, a doctor in... You know, rural New York might have just as much power, just as much social control as any other member of the working class. Even though maybe a hundred years ago, they would have been considered upper middle class, right? Or our labor aristocracy. Over time, that progression takes, you know, now people who we might have considered the ruling class a hundred years ago are the labor aristocracy that we know of today meaning the upper middle class, right? And I've kind of gotten off subject here, but my whole point is to say, like, all of these complexities, all of this nuance to this power that we know, um, it's evolving, it's changing. The whole world is, right? So as that continues forward, and you have these two groups within society, again, the rulers and the ruled over, the oppressors and the oppressed. As that society progresses, obviously, the oppressed class is going to get sick and tired of being oppressed. And eventually, as the theory goes, it will lead to, I mean, we could call it change. Or we could call it revolution. It doesn't always necessarily lead to something that we might, you know, consider a quote-unquote revolution. But it at least leads to change or calls for change in society that wouldn't have happened before. And that right there proves that just like natural selection... Society evolves and changes through processes which are directly observable. That is what Marx and Engels prove. That is what class struggle is, right? Is that if you look at all of society, if you look at history from the earliest civilization, from the Mesopotamias, from the, you know, I. I, I probably don't have the best early civilization history considering I grew up in America, right? But from Mesopotamia, claiming according to my American education that that was the first known civilization we'll we'll know whether or not that's the truth after I get off this and Google it, right? But from Mesopotamia to the society we live in right now that has always been true. There has been always been a class within society that is in control and a class within society which is under control. And the reason why this is so very important, well, I guess the reason is quite the claim to make, but a reason why this is so incredibly important, especially today, is because quite often that Ruling class is the minority. And it becomes an even smaller minority, like we said, as it progresses. As fewer and fewer people have the means to call themselves ruling class. Have the means to change society. That minority, in comparison to the majority, who is not benefiting from the structures, from the institutions, and from the systems which exist in society, that majority will eventually realize that it is the majority, right? And it will eventually realize that they have the real means to create change. Now, we're not talking about change walking down to Washington, D.C. and saying, hey... You know, we really wish that police would stop killing people. Or, hey, we really wish that we could afford health care, right? No. Because we have to understand that even here in America, one of the most privileged societies known to man, there are people, again, who are dying from starvation. Now, to a lot of people, this is... Um, the way things are, right? It life, life isn't fair. It is what it is. Like we said, there's always been a ruling class and a ruled over class. Why do we expect that anything's going to change? I mean, people have always starved to death. It's not any different now. So why are we complaining about it still, right? Well, I mean, the fact that anyone has ever starved to death today, considering the, again enormous abundance of resources, especially food, that is readily available for people is ridiculous. But beyond that point, the reason why we are saying that we need to change things is because we can change things. And things have changed over time. If you look at the society which existed in Mesopotamia, say early Greece even, versus now, Do they look the same? No. And we might even be able to make the claims that things are better. Now, of course, that's a perspective thing. Have things necessarily gotten better for the starving people in India who are literally having a revolution right now? Maybe not. Have they gotten better for people like me? Certainly, right? So we have to understand that even though these things are have always been in existence, there's there's always been that um, there's always been that like ruled over and ruling class because that is true. It's never going to change. But that's not the case, because if we look at history, we can see that things have changed. You know, different ruling classes have even ruled throughout history. The American Revolution, the French Revolution, revolutions like that prove that things can change. Now, the problem with those changes is that it didn't address the very cause of the problems, but it's changed nonetheless, right? So to wrap it all up in a pretty little bow to move on to the next point and then finish out, we're calling for change, Because change is desperately needed. Again, there are literally people who are starving to death. I don't think that we rationalize that as the violence that it really is, right? That is violence. The fact that anyone goes without a home is violence. The fact that people cannot experience the proper education that is readily available to them is violence. And it's, these things are violence because it puts these people in predicaments. It puts these people in circumstances. It puts these people in situations outside of their control, which negatively, or I should say not, you know, which harm them, right? These things kill people, kill people. That's violence. But yet when someone decides to pick up a gun and kill or even attack say, those who have caused these problems in their society, they're the terrorists. And I'm not, you know, that, that sounds suspiciously defensive of what happened at the Capitol building. God, no, that is not what I'm doing, right? But what I am saying is that we have to conceptualize these things in their truth, right? Capitalism is violent, Capitalism makes it so that people cannot feed themselves because they do not have money. Capitalism is violent. And capitalism has killed people for, depending on our estimates, 200 to 500 years. Whether you're a member of the capitalist class or the member of the class which supported that capitalist class with your life, your family's lives your wealth, your society's structure and stability, and just about everything that would make society today considered modern and advanced, or even, again, stable. So what does all this mean, right? Why why the fuck am I talking about this? Well, like I said, all over the world, people are crying out for change. And change looks different everywhere it takes place. You know, I'm, I'm working on writing something which talks about the universality of change, right? The fact that change is universal. It happens everywhere. It happens constantly, right? Versus the particularity of change, right? The ways in which things change, why they change, where they change, how they change, what they change into, you know? And so one of the things that we need to understand is that things are changing, right? Society today looks nothing like society 30 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. But still, again, like we've said, to its core, society is structured the same way. There's a ruling class and a working class. There is an oppressor and an oppressed. There is the exploited, the put down, the suffering, and there are those who benefit from those who suffer from the very suffering of those people. There are, there are people within society who enjoy fruitful, um, vastly more privileged lives than the majority of people alive today because those other people are oppressed, are enslaved, are not free. We in America are free because in comparison to the majority of the world we are more free so we can say america is free because we can look at the rest of the world and say hey america is better than this right but again america the american revolution and the the you know the society which developed from that did not tackled the root cause of the problems which we have always faced and we are still facing today, and that is class struggle. Class struggle is at the root of every problem because of this very relationship. Ready? There are people who can eat tonight, and there are people who cannot. That is the reality of the world that we live in today. There are people who die Because they cannot feed themselves. And then there are countries like the United States, which throws out $150 billion worth of food every single year. There are two very different realities. And this is why we have to understand things... Study them in their complexities. Learn the nuances about the problems, about the places, about the people we are talking about, the ideas we are talking about, the, the, you know, problems we are talking about. Rather than just accepting a narrative and pushing it forward. Or even supposedly forming our own opinion, quote unquote, by just looking at a problem like homelessness and saying, well, geez, these people ought to stop spending all their money on booze, drugs, and lotto tickets. They ought to save it and buy themselves a house, right? That's what looking at homelessness like that might say. You might say, oh, geez, maybe if they didn't spend all their money on heroin, they might be able to afford a home. Maybe if they weren't heroin addicts, they'd be able to get a job, right? Okay, Let, let's, let's flip that, right? Why are there homeless people? Why are there drug addicts? Why are there people who can't get jobs? Why are there people who can't afford homes, can't afford food, right? I can drive through my city, my small-ass city in central New York, and see at least 40 empty homes... I'm sure there's people in the area who don't have a home. Why not put them up in that home? Well, that's not how that works. You know, there's a lot of things you got to do. No, uh uh-uh. There's a lot of things we have to do because there's a lot of things we say we have to do. There is one thing that is stopping people from having homes, and that is being given homes, right? Being allowed the dignity the humanity of living within a shelter, right? Not only just in America, but all over the world, that is a humanity, that is a humane thing, that is a a, a dignified thing, that is denied to billions of people on the very basis that it is not profitable, okay? That's what we have to understand. These things, quote-unquote, don't work like that because we say they don't work like that. Capitalism was created. Capitalism is no more natural than the food that we are consuming today, right? It was created just like that food um, out of thin fucking air. And it was created by people who are already benefiting from the very foundation of this this system, right? Before there was capitalism, there was feudalism, but the relationship of ruler and ruled still existed. And because of capitalism, which allowed this middle class to develop, this capitalist class to develop power outside of the normal means of power, such as political or social, they were able to develop economic power and therefore through that process of capitalism, combined with the already existing relationship of oppressor and oppressed, they overthrew the former oppressors and became the oppressors themselves. But this revolution, these revolutions that happened all over the world that did this very thing did not eliminate oppression As a practice, they did not eliminate class struggle. They did not eliminate class antagonism. They just simply took the former ruling class and replaced themselves with it, right? That is the revolutions of days past. And that is why nothing has changed because of them is because they have not addressed the very central, the very key and the very foundational problem, which still to this day in 2021 affects billions of people again, that inequality that exists means that some people can eat today and some people will die because they cannot. That, we, we can't, we can't point to 3.3 billion people who live on less than $5 a day. We can't point to 3.3 billion people and say, what are you doing wrong that should be allowing you to make enough to meet your needs? You know, the the common narrative in America is, oh, we'll stop spending all your money on going out to eat or shopping and stuff like that. How about instead, I didn't need to pay more than 40% of my annual income just to simply afford a home, right? Because that's, on average, what most people pay in America is around 40% of their annual income, almost half, Half of the money that most people make in a year is spent on just their home. Just their home. That's ridiculous. Ridiculous, right? that That's all there is to say. That is ridiculous. But we are at a period in time, a period of history, where enough people are suffering because of this a change is needed right if you look at the fall from feudalism to capitalism what happened you had a majority of the population which was not supported by the very structure of the societies they lived in right the majority of the populations that were alive during feudal societies were not benefiting from feudal society So change was made Today A majority of people alive Do not benefit from the capitalist society So things will need to change Now To finish up There are two ways that this change can go One We can keep doing big movements We can keep just spontaneously erupting Into protests and insurrection And stuff like that Calling for change, right? We can break into the Capitol building. We can, I don't know, we can do whatever we want, really. We can be spontaneous as hell. That's not gonna change anything, right? First and foremost, um, if you are alive in America, you should be ready for a real crackdown with the police because that is surely what is coming. We're doubling down on our fascism because that is what capitalism does as it collapses. Fascism is capitalism in crisis, or if it is not necessarily fas- you know fascism is specifically capitalism in crises. capitalism in crises turns to fascism to uphold itself to keep itself in place right that it that is why fascism is happening more and more today because capitalism is failing so to to reaffirm itself to reestablish itself as the the leading cause, you know, the the ruling class, it has to take this face. It has to become more and more authori- authoritarian, a uh, dictatorial, um, fascistic, because otherwise people are going to have the upper hand and they're going to take over, right? Whatever that means, that doesn't necessarily mean people are going to take over and build a socialist revolution. No, that just means... Things are going to change and because there are currently people who are benefiting from the way things are, they don't want any change. The other way that that can go is we can organize ourselves, we can build community, we can build solidarity, international solidarity, right? The point is not to have a free America, the point is to eliminate borders, eliminate nations in general, To have just simply the earth and the people alive on it. Because that is the only way which class antagonisms can truly be addressed. We have to address nationhood as well, right? Maybe I'll do another episode on that another time. But you can understand the same relationship exists between the United States and Palestine that exists between Jeff Bezos and myself. There's a ruler and a ruled. So nations take the same face as the societies within them right okay because the the planet itself is one big world society and the united states and powers like it are the ruling class and the majority of the world is the oppressed class okay that is going to need to change eventually and there are a lot of people who are ready for it to change today the only way that that change can come it can benefit the majority of people. It can, you know, stabilize itself. It can structure itself. It can cement itself. It can defend itself because we also have to re- realize that when we make change, the former powers that be aren't going to just simply be like, okay, we're socialists now. Or, okay, you know, even before socialism, okay, these people are in charge now. That's not how it's going to go, Right? Why do you think we have the world's largest military? That's not just for shits and giggles and looks, right? So we can get organized, we can build community, we can build solidarity internationally, and we can take action where action is beneficial, where action leads to more action, and we can start a true revolution within society which intends to restructure that society for the benefit of all rather than few. That is what... A true successful revolution could look like but again that can only look that way if we do it the right way the the very basis of all of that is just coming together there's a lot of different sex s e c t s i can't say that word properly properly there's a lot of different theories there's a lot of different ideologies okay All of this is incredibly important when it's important. Right now, when none of us have a a place of power to affect change, it doesn't really matter whether you're an anarchist, a uh, Marxist-Leninist, a Luxembourgist, what have you. If you're down for revolution and you're down for taking what is happening in society today and saying, That is not okay. That needs to change. And you are willing to take the steps to truly change what is causing that, right? If you're really, truly willing to attack class, then I don't care what you call yourself. We are brothers. We are sisters. We are comrades. We are together. We are one human race, one human species trying to affect change, right? And that's what we're here to do. Um, if you're still listening to this, thank you very much. I have been in defense of liberation, aka Josh. Uh if you would like to, please go ahead and follow me on all my social medias. I have TikTok, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, In Defense of Liberation. You can also find my podcast, just about everywhere that podcasts are streamable. And you can also find my website, which contains my blog, by looking up for liberation. Dot, Wix, site, dot com forward slash website. Uh, like I said in the beginning of the show, if you want to help me out in any way, uh, please rate and review my show on whatever platform you're listening to it on. It really helps expand my reach. Uh, also, please share some of my stuff uh, to, to get people to listen, to read my stuff, uh, because... I mean, right now I'm getting like 10 to 20 listens, like 10 to 20 reads on my stuff. And that's really not enough to do what I want to do, uh, to dedicate the amount of time that I want to dedicate to this. So please help me with that. If you have any questions, concerns, you want to roast me, call me a dickhead, bully me, or you want to be my friend, uh, go ahead and email me at annoyingquestionboy uh, at gmail.com. That's no caps, no spaces, annoyingquestionboy at gmail.com. Or message me on any of my social medias. Uh, Thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you next time. Uh, To liberation and to, uh, you know, power to the people. We're here yet again, as I said, to build, educate about, and work towards creating a true people's liberation. And through that, creating a true internationalist proletarian revolution, which intends to completely build a society that is for all and not few. Thanks for listening. I am Josh. Uh, Hope you have a great day. We'll see you next time, folks. Bye.